0: Behind the Prosers, it is episode 35. Thanks for coming back to me this week. Um, I have a special treat for you with episode 35. We're going to revisit one of our previous guests. Ironically, she is the author of a book titled The House Guest, which is out on April 12th. it, we're releasing this show a couple days before uh, her book mm-hmm. drops, so um, make sure that you are at Barnes & Noble or wherever you get your books from and getting ready to get that book and read it because we're really going to get into talking um, to her about that in a little bit. But first, you know, I got to check in with you. Last time I told you that I was had one or two to go on my last chunk of 20 and I finished that. And I started a new chunk, so now I'm actually seven in. I've been kind of on a roll this week, and I have like really three big acceptances to tell you about, but I feel like, well, it's they it didn't run yet, so, you know, is it right or superstition that you don't want to say, well, this place accepted me and this place accepted me, um, but keep Keep listening, keep watching, make sure you're on the email list, on the Twitter list, My, um, the Twitter list, what is that? Uh, follow me on Twitter, Behind the Pros, make sure you're on our email list. You can join by text 22828, if you text the word pros to 22828, um, and that'll put you on the email list. So uh, some people are sending me uh, shout-outs, publication shout-outs, and you'll see those in the newsletter, and you can continue to do that, too, or email me, info at behind the pros. Kim Brooks, uh, she's a graduate of the Iowa Writers' Workshop, where she was a teaching writing fellow. Uh, She's got fellowships. From all kinds of foundations, the Corporation of Yaddo, the Posen Foundation, and more. Uh, Her fiction has appeared in Glimmer Train, One Story, the Missouri Review. Uh, Essays all over the place. She wrote her way into the personal essays editor position at Salon Magazine. Um, And she's been in BuzzFeed and New York Magazine she is on a book roll right now. Her first novel is coming out, as I said, at the top of the show on April 12th, and she's got a memoir coming out next year that's called Small Animals. Um, so we're going to talk to Kim. Thank you, Kim Brooks, for being with us on Behind the Pearls today. Thank you for having me. So uh before we get into your your work I want to ask you something about what I said on the check in do you when you get things accepted do you say it and or or not what's your are you superstitious like that or what
1: Oh well um I mean, I am a little superstitious, but I also am completely incapable of keeping anything to myself, um, unfortunately, as my my family and friends will tell you. So, yeah, I mean, I usually tell people just everything immediately, Um, even though there's a part of me that recognizes it would probably be wiser to, you know, often wait a little bit. But that's just sort of not in my not in my skill set.
0: And do you think so the I, waiting part? Do you think the waiting part is because like for me I feel like oh if I don't if I say it and then they don't run it, maybe somehow that's a reflection on me that I'm not going to look bad.
1: Right. I mean, yeah, well it's just I mean it it definitely sucks to have to, you know, say to your friends or something like, Oh, I wrote this piece and they you know, then they had to kill it for whatever reason. Um Although I mean I feel like sometimes I would want to share that anyway because I want the support. Um, But yeah, there's definitely that feeling of like nothing is ever, is ever um, definite until you can actually see it and, you know, read it and hold it in your hands. Um, But yeah, I don't know. It's always a dilemma. I've, I've had the same, the same thought.
0: Hmm. When you got your, First, tell us about the house guest. I'm, I'm going to jump into the question that's sort of related to what we're talking about right now. When you got accepted sure. either by an agent or an editor, um, did you run out and tell somebody? Um, definitely. I
1: I definitely would have told probably about. 40 people um and every step along the way (laughs) I don't remember who those are I'm sure my husband and then I don't know who else um uh in fact when I but you know for me this was a long process I think you know I definitely hear those stories about people who like oh I wrote a book and then a few weeks later I got an agent and then a few weeks after that it you know I got a publisher um and I hate those people, but, you know, they're there. And, but for me, it was a very different process. It was a much longer, um, and more difficult process, um, with lots of successes and failures along the way. Uh, but definitely whenever there was a, you know, a moment of triumph, I shared it with, you know, everyone I knew and, you know, whoever was standing in line next to me at the store.
0: When did you begin working on the novel? I, well,
1: yeah, I was just thinking about that. So, you know, the novel grew out, it's a little bit tricky to say because the novel grew out of a, a short story that I wrote and published. Um, and actually, that story, which was also titled The House Guest, is a, a long time ago. I wrote it, um, trying to think, I was pregnant with my. With my son, I so it had to be about eight or nine years ago that I wrote about eight and a half years ago that I wrote this story, Um, and it wasn't like I wrote it and then immediately started, you know, writing, you know, a novel about the same subject matter. But, but that was the first kind of seed, and then probably you know a year a year later or something, yeah. I, I I continued writing on this subject. So in. And it wasn't straight through. I mean, there were definitely lots of breaks um, through the process. I was, you know, raising two small children and had other things going on. But it's been on and off for about, yeah, seven years. Mm.
0: What was it in the short story that drew you back to working on it, or, or who was it?
1: Right. Um, It was this family. You know, the story, um, the story just focused on this this particular family living in Utica, New York at this time period, um, who takes in uh, a Jewish refugee. And it was a very kind of contained um, scope. You know, it took place just over a couple of days and it just involved sort of a snapshot of this family. And there was something about, um, you know, in particular, the husband, the father, Abe, Abe Auer. There was something about him and sort of his sensibility, his point of view that I found very compelling and that sort of held me, um, held my attention in a way, I guess, that made me think, you know, maybe there's more here. There's more that I want to explore.
0: Hmm. When you say that, it reminds me of things that other um, fiction writers have said when the characters sort of take a life of their own, um, and you say that something about Abe uh, kind of compelled you. Can you uh, break that down for us a little more as far as the part where you realize this is sort of a living, breathing kind of thing, the character that's pulling you? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean,
1: I guess I I would start by saying for me that that's not unique to this book or to this character, but sort of the the overall way that I always experience the writing of, of fiction, um, maybe all writing, you know, the material has to sort of take control. But especially in fiction where, you know, you're trying to create these other characters, um, you know, I'm definitely not. Uh, smart or powerful enough to sort of like have control over it in any conscious way, you know, to say, well, I want to write about this kind of person who's like this for me, it has to very much, it it feels, it feels, I I guess the best, uh, this is not very original, but for me, it ranks true. The best analogy is just of the way we experience people in dreams. You know, you dream about someone or if someone appears to you in a dream and obviously that's emerging from your brain, right, from your own imagination, but you're not in control of it in any way that you're aware of. And for me, I think, you know, fiction is the same way, at least when it's going well, Um, you know, someone sort of, a character sort of emerges, you start to have an experience of them. um, And at some point, you know it it feels to, to me at least when i'm when I'm immersed in it, like like that's a real person as opposed to someone I'm sort of painting.
0: I'm going to come back to the aspect of dreams later because that relates heavily to sort of the things that happen, some of the things that happen um, in the house gas. Wendy, sure. but I'm going to stick with the writing line of it at the moment. I'm going to make a little star here. Uh, when okay. you, were, you were working on it for the last eight years or so, when did you decide that I need to get this published and start setting out on getting an agent in for the book? Um, okay, yes,
1: that's a good question. Well, you know what? I already had an agent at the time, Um I've had an agent since I graduated from Iowa, uh, which was, you know, in some ways way too early. Um, (laughs) There there was a sense of, you know, oh, you have to have an agent when you leave graduate school. And I kind of see in many ways that, that that's not a helpful mindset now, but that was how I felt. So I had an agent who was working with me on other projects that never went anywhere, Um, And who was who was great, but ultimately, I realized was maybe not the right agent for for this particular book. Um, And so uh, I think, you know, it was somewhere along the lines, you know, of somewhere near having the completed first draft um, and there were many drafts, but, or maybe it was about half of the first draft where I started saying, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to look into other possibilities, but it was a very, um, it was a very long sort of process. Um, I can't remember like one mo There wasn't one specific moment. Mm
0: -hmm. So had you finished the book before you started to solicit a new agent? I,
1: yeah, I think I certainly had a draft. You know, I, I work in a sort of a strange way where like, I think there are, you know, there's some writers who they work very, very slowly and deliberately. And, you know, when they get to the end of the book, they've gotten to the end of the book. And that sort of is, is what close to what you end up seeing. For me, I sort of have to just have something start to finish you know so I, I i'm sure i had a draft but i i'm sure i also knew that you know it was going to change very very much by the time um it it became a book so but i think i did yeah if i'm remembering right i think i did probably have a, some kind of complete draft
0: mm-hmm. and do you recall what was the agent process like for mm-hmm. you um, as far as sending out to people, did you, was it a long time, a lot of agents who solicited?
1: Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I mean, it was always very, you know, a little bit stressful. Uh, and, um, but basically, you know, I sent out emails. Um, I had, you know, would talk to friends or people I knew who had written books. Um, so I, I you know I always thought it, it always that always helped to sort of have some kind of connection or referral um, and I would email different agents and sort of introduce myself and you know tell them about my background and my work and then um, you know if they were interested obviously send them send them the draft.
0: And when did you get your do you remember when you? got your agent and then how long after that it took for them to sell the book?
1: Um, from the time I got my agent, it was, it was, um, gosh, I think it was probably about a year or so. It was not like a, a very quick process.
0: Um, yeah, I think it was about a year. And so the book is out on Counterpoint Press of Berkeley. It's the house guest and so that was probably then around last year uh, this time
1: that i that it i learned it would be published yeah. yeah it was it was actually it was longer it was um it was in i'm trying to think no it was in September, not of 2015. It was September of 2014. Mm. So it was about 18 months ago, 19 months ago that I learned, yeah, that it would be published by CounterPoint.
0: And what was the process like working with the editor at CounterPoint?
1: Um, It's been amazing. It's been wonderful. It's, uh, you know, it's funny, like I've heard a lot or you read a lot these days about you know editors um not really having the time to do a lot of hands-on editing that they sort of want the book to be to be to be ready to go by the time they buy it you know um and I'm sure that that is true at a lot of houses and a lot of presses but it has not been my experience at all with my editor um with my editor Dan Smetanka at Counterpoint you know he he did so much work with me on the book, um, in terms of structure, in terms of story, you know, in terms of really, you know, getting it as good as it could be. Um, and he's brilliant, you know, so that was, that was a very, it's been a wonderful experience working with him. Hmm.
0: So let's get into the content of the book a little bit. Um, one of the things that I noticed about the book is – well, let's so – one of the things that I noticed about the book is that you seem to be really good at character development. And the book is told in third person, and we switch from character perspectives um, in, you know, alternating chapters, going through various characters. So I wondered how you approached developing those characters. Did you sketch them out? Um, what?
1: How did, how did they sort of emerge um, for me um, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess i I mean what I said before I think is is, is very true for me that it's not a conscious or deliberate process um, you know characters begin to emerge for me in the same sort of way that you know I perceive someone in a dream um, but certainly once they're on the page and you begin to work with them, then it kind of becomes more conscious. And there's a lot of thinking about like, um, you know, okay, well, how would this person, you know, react um, in, in this situation or how would they deal with this conflict? Um, You know, my writing teacher, one of my writing teachers, Ethan Kanan at Iowa, would always talk about this question of how, how do you develop characters? Um, which is something all writers of fiction have to have to deal with. And, you know, he'd say, like, a lot of times, someone, a reader will read something and say, I want to see more of this character. And as a writer, you're kind of like, well, what, what the hell does that mean? You know, I want to see more of them, like, you know, or I, I want a better sense of this character. It doesn't really tell you a lot of like, what to do as a writer. And he would always say, and I found this very helpful. He would say that, there are two really, really good ways to develop characters to, to, you know, to show a character on the page. One is to um, have them do something or, you know, yeah, to have them act, to have them react. It's very easy to sort of fall into this trap of like, Oh, I'm going to describe this character. Like, how do they look? Like they're just sort of standing there. But but real people do things all the time, right? We, we make decisions, we make choices. um, And, and those choices that we make reveal sort of who we are. So one way is to actually think about what would these characters do? What would, you know, what would they, how would they act? The other way he said, which is something I think I never would have thought of on my own, but has been enormously helpful is he would say, you know, have your characters think about other characters in the book, have them think about what's going on and about the people around them, which is something of course we all do in real life, right? We're constantly thinking about, you know, Oh, she said this, what did she mean by that? What is this other person in my life, you know, trying to do, or we're making judgments, we're evaluating other people. And, you know, he would say that when you have a character think you know, meaningfully about another character, it's kind of like a two for one because you're characterizing the secondary character, but you're also characterizing the person who's thinking about them by, you know, the, their intelligence, the sophistication of their thought, you know, their sensibility. So uh, that's always stayed with me. And I, I, I'm sure, not consciously, but I'm sure I tried to use those strategies as, as I was writing The House Guests.
0: That's actually one of the notes that I had, like, throughout the book, and I think it speaks to the first point that you said your teacher said about showing the characters doing things, and there are moments in between, like, dialogue where someone's lighting a cigarette or moving in a certain way. Um, It is so detailed that I, I would write my note, like, how did you think of this? Like, do you see that in your head when you're, Um, is that what happens organically on the first draft or is that something that you consciously now go back and edit in like their little movements and expressions or rounding of the shoulders or.
1: Yeah. um, Well, some, you know, I'm sure a lot of things have been, you know, in later drafts and, you know, early drafts are always for me just very much about trying to get some kind of skeleton on the page, but those those kinds of things are for me a question usually of point of view. Um I don't I don't think about I I know this is not everyone has this approach with writing, you know, I f- feel like I hear a lot of pe- times people will talk about writers making choices and people will ask that question like, you know, how did you make the decision to or how did you make the choice to, you know, portray this in this particular way. Um, but for me, I don't know. I'm not. I'm, I feel like I'm not smart enough to make those kinds of choices. I I would have no idea, you know, how to do that. For me, I can only do it sort of in a. I guess this is kind of like a method acting approach. But whatever whatever character I'm writing about, whatever point of view I'm in, I sort of have to become that character and inhabit or embody that character, and then everything comes clear. becomes clear to me, you know, what needs, what needs to be observed, what needs to be thought about, because it's, it's what that particular character would be thinking or would be observing in that moment, you know? So if I'm a character, if I'm a male character, you know, who happens to be attracted to this woman, you know, then it's, it's not like I say to myself as the writer, okay, now I'll choose to, you know, have him notice you know, her her uh, shoulders. It's just I'm thinking if I'm that person, that's what I would be drawn to. That's what I would notice. So mm-hmm. it's all for me, it's all a matter really of point of view and an inhabiting point of view.
0: I think a good example of that, and I'll read it and when I finish, if you want to speak to it, you can, um, is this one of the notes I put down on page 114 and 115 in the book. This is when Anna and Abe are in the junkyard, it's not out of the house now, and she's trying to get him to dance. Uh, But who would see us? She slipped out of the robe. She was wearing something silk beneath it, a gown, a negligee, something through which he could see the lines of her torso, the curve of her breasts. She rounded her shoulders and lifted her arms, encircling a partner who wasn't there, tilting her head as she began to sway and twirl across the gravel. She's mad, he thought. And yet, her madness seemed natural and right, his own sanity a handicap. Mhm, And I just underlined that last the last i just I was like, wow
1: <sighs> yeah, well, yeah, that's an example where i I guess I was you know that feeling um that I think most people have had, where you're sort of enamored with someone and everything. Everything they do just seems seems right, you know, seems compelling, even if, you know, you could take a step back and think, no, that's, that's a little bit odd, you know, that's that's very strange. But when you're sort of in that state of, of uh, enchantment or sort of projecting or it, 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 I mean, that's an example of how our point of view sort of changes our reality.
0: hmm. And you talk about the characters sort of developing then uh, organically, i would noticed that as a character in terms of when the reader gets to see life through them, Anna doesn't come in until around chapter 10, which is like page 150-ish or close to there. And for me, it felt like it was sort of the middle of the book almost, and I wondered if that was intentional, since she seems to be like the heart of the story.
1: Uh, That she comes into the book. I'm sorry. Uh, Is it? It's a. What page is it? It's not one. Is it really one ten? Is it that late that she enters?
0: It's it's chapter ten.
1: Oh, you you mean her. You you mean her point of. You mean her point of view.
0: Yeah, her point of view. Oh, that's the first time we get to see through her.
1: Sure, sure. Okay, yeah. She appears earlier, but her point of view comes kind of later. Yeah, I mean, I guess I felt like, you know, my primary interest as I began to write the book and as it developed was sort of the idea of um, disruption, you know, um, emotional, psychological, political disruption. And, you know, the way that these characters, Abe and Max, um, you know, and Spiro and Irene, who are sort of, you know, in their different ways, complacent or, you know, going about their lives, um, the way that their world is disrupted by um, these various forces, one of which is this woman, Anna, arriving So for me, it sort of made intuitive sense to, you know, begin. So in the sense, it's more a story about Anna and her arrival and her presence than it is Anna's story, if that makes any sense. Um, Mm -hmm. So for me, it, it seemed logical to begin with the point of view of these other people and sort of how their world is disrupted by her. Ultimately, though, you know, I, there, I think there were drafts where I actually didn't have any of her point of view at all for that reason. But ultimately, I found that I was kind of interested in exploring her perspective, even though her perspective wasn't at the heart of the book. You know, I felt like that that was an important element that I wanted to, that I wanted to include.
0: When you're writing a book with alternating points of view – do you write, say, one character's point of view from beginning to end and then kind of break it up into chapters amongst the others? Or do you really write, like, one person's perspective and then the next chapter, like like that structure when you're writing yeah. a, a draft? Gosh, I mean, I think,
1: honestly, I probably tried that. I probably tried, you know, this book took me a long time to write and, and was was very challenging for me to write um, and and I think I probably tried that at one way one point it sounds it sounds familiar like I would have said oh let me try to write each person's story through it obviously I don't think worked that's um, not the book I ended up with but you know I, I think at the end what I try that the approach that probably worked best and that I'll probably try next time is to focus on the thread of the story as opposed to any kind of external device, you know? Um, and this is something like uh, with my work as an editor, I think has helped me a lot is when I read like an essay, a personal essay or a short story, even though it's it's obviously a very different form um, I've learned to focus more on this question of, of story. Like what is the story here? What is the story we're telling? And I think that in a novel I think that, in a novel, you know that question is still is still valid and can still be useful you know to to first of all figure out what the story you're telling is, and then when you kind of have answered that question, I think a lot of these smaller questions fall into place and you mm-hmm. know in terms of how how to actually write it, how to execute it, you know. Uh, when to shift point of view. Um, If you're trying to make each of those decisions, for me, I find if I'm trying to make each of those little micro decisions, it's like impossible, right? How could I, how could I know? Uh, But if, if you kind of have this bigger framework in place, I'm telling the story of such and such, then, then that kind of, you don't have to make those smaller decisions. The answer becomes more obvious.
0: Mm. One of the things that I noticed you're really good at in this book is similes, um, and you use a lot of similes to, to describe characters or scenes, and one of the early ones that struck out for me was in Chapter 4. Uh, I'm i I'm not sure, I didn't write who you were describing at this time, but uh-huh. you say, it looked like he'd stepped out of an elevator on the wrong floor. <laughs> something I've done many times myself, right? <laughs> <laughs> and the reader can just see that so clearly. I'm just flipping right. see who, uh, which, uh, who it was. It was Abe, I think. This is chapter four. Um, and you do several of those throughout the, the, the book. I mean, more than several. Is that part of your natural, uh, I guess, Leaning towards writing similes, or do you focus on that in editing? Yeah,
1: I mean, I probably write way more than than I should, you know, or that I end up keeping. But I suppose that's, um, yeah, that's sort of just a stylistic mm-hmm. thing. I definitely end up uh, eliminating a lot of a lot of similes and a lot of metaphors uh, and. Attempts at sort of elevated language during the editing process, um, but you know, usually I'd say for every like for every four or five I write, maybe I let myself keep one.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'm just gonna if you're in the Barnes and Noble listening to this on your iPod or something, phone, whatever, or any type of in a device. Uh, you can go to page forty-eight. She's got one of those great descriptions here, and, and the uh, this is. I'll just share one more. Uh, Abe nodded, observed how stiffly the man stood. His eyes were large and gray. His skin hung slack from the bones of his face, like a sheet draped over a post. And I just highlighted that. I, and if I'm just curious to hear a little bit about maybe if you remember writing that or how that came to you. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, I feel like definitely with with language things like that, it's it is the dream, the dream logic, as I said with the mm-hmm. characters. I mean, definitely, if I stop and say I need to to write a really great metaphor here, then that is not going to go well. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So, but I, I think yeah, when when I'm kind of in point of view and I'm not thinking about it too too much sometimes um you know things will work language things like that will work i mean ultimately i feel like um for me you you know you write the book that you want to read just like you you know you write the story you want to read and um for me i love i love language where it sort of disappears the language itself you know where the focus Mm -hmm. It, where, it, certainly, where the language doesn't get in the way. If I'm if I'm reading something and thinking, you know, oh my God, this is not well written, then then that's not going to work. Um, but I love books where you know the language there's a there's a certain elegance or spareness, but uh, that allows it to sort of fade to the background, and so what you really experience. Is the characters, the story, the ideas that are being presented as opposed to you know just focusing on you know the beauty of the language um, that's that's just sort of my my taste um, mm-hmm. so that's what I strive for um, in, in in my prose. not that I always achieve it, but that's kind of my goal mm
0: mm-hmm. Is that the same rule for dialogue because you also seem to have a really good knack with that? One of the examples is uh page seventy six to seventy seven um which is an uh, exchange with this um as I muddle through this, go ahead and tell us about your approach to dialogue,
1: <laughs> yeah, um. So, uh, di- yeah, dialogue is easy, a little bit easier for me, actually. Uh, it it comes kind of more naturally, um, or at least I, I find it easier than exposition. I sort of um, follow one guideline with dialogue, uh, which is that I feel like a lot – I feel like good dialogue sort of has one of two things going on. Usually, of course, there's always exceptions, but usually it, either it's funny and witty Um, or it has conflict, you know, it has some kind of conflict and it doesn't have to be conflict like, you know, uh, you know, Hey buddy, you're a jerk, you know, not, it doesn't have to be like external outright, you know, over the top conflict, but it contains some kind of conflict, right? It it could be subtle. It could be, um, it, it could be, uh, quiet. But there's some tension in the dialogue, and you know i I tell people when i'm when i'm teaching writing or when i'm editing um, you know often if i'm reading a passage of dialogue that just falls very flat and is boring um, and could easily be put in exposition it's often because there's no conflict so I try to keep mm-hmm. that in mind when i'm writing um, when i'm writing scenes um and sort of ask myself like what what are the strands of conflict in this scene again I mean it seems sort of weird to say I ask myself that because I'm sure I don't but um, you know uh, it's not I'm not doing it consciously but maybe it's more in issues of revision where if I look back at something I've written and uh, Mm -hmm. it, it feels very dull to me it's I can often trace it to that there's not enough tension or conflict it's not it's not funny it's sort of flat
0: in one of the things, though, so the characters in the book have an inter, they end up having an intertwined story, right? Um, and so, how did you keep all of that straight <laughs> the, the writing of this? <laughs> the different,
1: the different storylines. You mean the different arcs?
0: Yeah. Yeah, um,
1: I have. A really good editor I think is the answer to that because yeah because that is the hardest part for me with novel writing absolutely you know I feel like for me it was sort of that feeling you know when I was in when I was in school like I was very good at algebra I was always good at algebra and um I could do that kind of thing and then when we, it moved up to like calculus I just remember having this feeling like my brain can't do this. Like it was like moving to just a dimension where my brain, I felt like could not, could not conceptualize or conceive of what it needed to do to, to get what I was supposed to do. Right. And I, Mm -hmm. I had that same feeling moving from story writing and essay writing to novel writing. Like I felt Mm -hmm. like, there there are structural things that I need to keep track of and that I need to understand it, that my brain alone sort of cannot do. Um, and that was probably my biggest struggle. But, but again, as I said, I was lucky in that I just so happened to, to connect with this amazing editor, Dan Smitenka, who, who is like kind of a genius at that, you know, and just has this, I mean, incredible sense of like, of how story works in a novel, you know, of how the different storylines need to be paced and intertwined um, in order to build tension, you know, and to create suspense and to have everything move along um, and kind of crescendo when it should. He just has a very intuitive sense of that. So that was the, you know, that was the thing that he was able to help me with the most. You know, he didn't do very much on the uh, in terms of, like, characterization. You know, by the time Counterpoint had bought the book, it wasn't like, well, I want you to rethink this character and their motivations. Um, it, we didn't, you know, we didn't have to do stuff like that. Mostly what he was able to help me with were these issues of, of structure, of, you know, intertwining the different storylines. And he was just, he's really good at that. So I was very lucky in that regard.
0: Hmm. And I've asked all my guests, so I'll ask you as well, would you be willing to share with us? uh, I know you said they bought the book. Would you be willing to share with us if it was four figures, five figures, seven figures?
1: Uh, (laughs) I don't think I should. Even though, of course, as I said, my inclination is always to share everything. Um, But I think I probably shouldn't. I mean, I'll say like, I remember before I, um, before I sold the book, I wanted to know that, too, from everyone, like, how much do you get for a book? And I, asked, I remember asking a friend of mine who also happens to be an agent, uh, you know, how much, how much am I going to get if, I, if I'm able to sell my book? And she said, I would say it will probably be between $1 and $1 million and that was all she would say to me so i think that that's all probably all i should say but um
0: but you know i'm going to i'm going to lower like... that i'm going to lower that it's going to be between <laughs> $0 because our last $0. Guest, <laughs> our last guest in yeah. school she didn't get in advance for her great book but they believed in it as a small press and put it out um so it does vary
1: yeah yeah totally and i mean you know for me like um just for so long, you know, feeling like, like, you know, putting all this work into writing and working on this novel that it, it's an incredible leap of faith, I think for all writers. I mean, you're working on this thing. You have no idea if it will ever see the light of day, right. Um, if it will ever be published and um you do it anyway you know for whatever crazy reason and so just for me like finding out that I am going to get paid something you know even if it's not a million dollars and and these people actually want to work with me and actually want to help my book you know go into the world was like amazing I mean it just felt like a miracle you know so um so yeah that was definitely the most exciting part
0: are you headed on a book tour?
1: I am going on a book tour, yeah. I'm going to um, New York and Boston and Iowa City and Louisville, all places oh. where I have some friends who I really want to see, and I'm very excited.
0: Good. But make sure that um, if when you're listening now, go to the show page. You'll have the link to... Um, Kim's website and her tour dates. so if you're in those areas, you definitely can um, go down, get the house, get a signed copy, meet uh, Kim Brooks. Before you go, Kim, I want to ask you one last question. Sure. If you could go back in time to when you were, say, writing this book, uh, probably prior to getting it picked up by CounterPoint, what superpower would you tell yourself to develop in order to help yourself along?
1: Um, well, that, that is an easy question for me. Cause I think about that all the time. Uh, patience, patience, mm. <laughs> patience, you know, superhuman patience, I think um, would have helped me a lot. Um, I think like, many writers, you know, I, I tend to be very impatient. I think I said this in my interview with you about editing it, but it's true Mm -hmm. in that too. But like, um, I think there are those miracle cases, right? Right. Where people say, Oh, I just wrote the book in, in nine months and, and it got picked up and it was Mm -hmm. all done. And that's great. Good for them. But um, I don't think that that's super typical. I think that, For a lot of people, certainly for me, like writing a novel is just a really hard process. It's a long um, and very challenging process. And, you know, it requires a lot of patience. Uh, So that's what I would tell myself if I could go back in time.
0: Hmm. Well, I thank you for being with us. We didn't even get to talk about all the research that you had to do for this book, uh, that is research heavy.
1: Oh, well, that's probably good. Yeah, research is not research is not the most exciting part. I don't think of of, of writing fiction, but you know it has to be done.
0: Mhm. Um. So I encourage everyone to go pick up the house guests. And thank you, Kim Brooks, for being on the Behind the Pros. And we'll see you back next year when the memoir comes out.
2: Great. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. So I'm holding right now the hard copy, the hardcover copy of The House Guest by Kim Brooks on Counterpoint Press. You can hold your copy this week. Just make sure you go out to your local bookstore, your independent bookstore, your bookstore chain, if that's what you do, and, um, Amazon your uh, what do we call those things that I use the Kindle right your Nook everything Um, so do that this week support Kim's book the first week that it comes out it drops April 12th and we know that first week sales are so important in the publishing world and let's do what Susan Shapiro calls it and and that's publishing karma Um, pay it forward so you want someone to support your work when it comes out let's go out and support Kim Brooks counterpoint press is also hooking you up with your chance to win a copy of the house guest all you got to do is tweet at behind the pros this week something about kim brooks show the more you tweet the better your chances to win a winner will be selected on saturday april 16th at 11 p.m eastern time so listen learn and tweet <laughs> So remember how I said I had three things accepted by really big publications, but nothing had come out yet? That was Friday. Today is Monday at 6 p.m. and one of them is out. It is on the New Yorker Daily Shouts and Murmurs. It is my piece, How to Deal with an Angry Electorate that was rejected from another major humor site. Uh, But that's great because um the New Yorker picked it up and actually the editor emailed me after she had seen my piece on McSweeney's, but I didn't see the email until like two months later because it went to my Keisha Whitaker account and um like my website account and I never check it because I only get junk. Um and there it was an invitation from her to send something in and so I did and she accepted it and I'm really grateful for that that was one of my target publications for the year so I've got McSweeney's I've got the New Yorker and I say all that to say that um just keep keep trying uh and you'll have highs and you'll have lows and I'm on a higher right now I might be approaching the low I don't know uh, but you know it is what it is. Um, so I've got that link in the show page for you. Check that out. Um, make sure you're on the email list to join. Text the word PROSE to the number 22828. That's text the word PROSE to the number 22828 coming up i've got eric deckers and the jack kerouac house i have an interview with judith ortiz cofer the legendary the acclaimed so uh stay tuned for that and in the meantime make sure you're listening make sure you're learning and make sure you're writing